Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're joining us. We pray before we begin our taping, and we pray that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the reason for our doing this is to encourage you. So could I say to you as we begin this next edition on the Sermon on the Mount, be encouraged. Hear what the Lord is saying to you. Take courage, receive, and be refreshed. We are continuing a fresh look at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to teach the entire three chapters, but just pieces of it, pieces of it. I actually need to go into my Bible and make a check mark so I can remember which ones we've taught and what's left. But I can tell you that um, as a teacher, I confess again and again that I know I gain the most of these lessons than any of you who are listening. I don't care who you are, where you are, what you're doing. I'm the one who's the richest benefactor um, on these lessons that are taught here in our studios. Our last session on retaliation and personal insult I was staggered at how often I heard people insulting mother, sometimes intentionally, often without thinking before they spoke. Today, we will look at a very often casually quoted portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, this is the first of five what the scripture calls discourses by Jesus, and it's the most frequently read, used, quoted from passages in all of scripture. The next few days, our lessons will add to this lesson out of Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 26, some topics about anger. Today's session is straight from the Sermon on the Mount, straight from the lips of Jesus to us, to our hearts. Anger. Are you, some of you saying, oh, mind your own business? Are some of you saying, I'm not angry? Well, I hope when we're through talking about anger, you'll see whether you are or you're not. Um, I think that often we use other words. I talked to a couple of women about this before teaching it, and one of them said to me, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing that I often say, I'm sad. And she said, with a real, real emphatic voice, when I really should be saying, I'm mad. And I thought, oh, interesting. And then another woman said to me, um, after presenting this material, I don't tell anyone I'm angry with them. I don't. I say I'm disappointed. Ouch! (laughs) Okay, raise your hand wherever you are. Which would you prefer? Someone says, I'm angry with you or I'm disappointed with you. Oh, give me angry any time. Disappointment is so overwhelming to me. I feel like, what did I do? What am I? Who am I? What, what about me don't you like? When in fact, you say to me, I'm angry, and then you follow through with telling me what you're angry about. Usually, I either say, you are right, baby, or no, 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 let's talk about that. 
So when we read these few verses, Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 26. Thank you for writing me recently and saying, you talk too fast when you read the scripture. And I thought, I don't talk too fast when I read the scripture, but I thought about it and I do. And here's why. I'll give you my reason for it. I've read it so many times. I think, okay, come on, we just get this done. It's like, so thank you for that wonderful reminder. God's word is really a holy space and it teaches us, it convicts us, it counsels us, it encourages us. So there are six verses. I'm going to read every word of it to you. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, remember that phrase, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on your way to court. With him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, last time we talked about retaliation and insults, um, and I said, I mentioned the TV shows where they bring what appears to be small crime or small misdemeanors, or small encounters, and usually it's writing a check. You owe so-and-so because the judge said so. But here Jesus goes really much further because he's talking about your accuser who will drag you to court, and when you get to court, you'll go before the judge, and then the judge will turn you over to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. And I remember reading through that in these last days and thinking, haven't you seen that on television drama? Like, what is the worst scene in the courtroom? And then I thought, television drama. I have been in the courtroom. I have been in the courtroom with a woman who killed her husband. And in the courtroom, that exact thing happened. There was a judge There was the accusation. The guard came in an orange jumpsuit and put, and she was in an orange jumpsuit by that time, and put the handcuffs on her and took her away. Wow. All of that because in her heart of hearts, it started with anger. Now, you say, I've never been that angry. My husband and I are, we support the amendment that allows you to have a gun and bear arms. We do. We we do. But we are so much older now, and we have seen so many incidences in our lives where a home that owns a gun has an accident or a home that owns a gun. And in the case of this woman and her husband, She was angry beyond her anger, beyond her ability to control, and that gun was available. Would she have taken his life another way? Potentially, perhaps, but I know that that gun's availability made it much, 
much easier for her to pull the trigger on him. So I think that's what I want to conclude with today. I want to say to you, your anger out of control pulls a trigger. It pulls a trigger. Maybe it's a gun, maybe it isn't. But it pulls a trigger on another human being where we say things, we do things, we act out things that are beyond the necessity for the anger that we feel. Oswald Chambers tells us a man cannot understand anything he has not begun to think about. Consequently, until we say yes to Jesus, we cannot understand him and his words. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, we must be born again. And what does Nicodemus say? You're kidding me. You don't expect me, a grown adult, to go back into my mother's birth canal and womb. Mothers, aren't you glad it doesn't happen that way? Ouch, is all I can say. But I believe that Chambers is saying, heart understanding, not literal translation. I can tell you that a very important person in our life, I'm not going to say his name, had keen knowledge of the Bible. Keen. He could recite it. When he passed, we found books with all sorts of notes of facts and educational data and historical connection. But we did not see in his lifetime that he understood what it meant to surrender himself, surrender himself. I've been reading a lot on the Sermon on the Mount by other writers, other noted um, writers, theologians. And one of the things I read that deeply touched me said, we hear often that Jesus died for my sins. If I could see you in my audience, I would say, would you raise your hands if you've ever heard that? I'm raising both of my hands. Are you raising your hand, producer? Yes, both of her hands also. And this author said very profoundly, but rather, okay, now listen to this. Now listen to what I'm saying. Instead of saying Jesus died for my sins, how does this sound? He gave himself for me that I might give myself to him. Because I think it stops there. He died for my sins, okay? Because he died for my sins, what is it? I feel guilty, I feel responsible, I need to pay back. What is it that that means? He did die because of sin, and I'm a sinner. But I love this concept, and I think Chambers is right. He, but rather, instead of saying that, I want to say, he gave himself for me, and he did. Every last ounce of his blood. 33 years on this earth in darkness when he was light himself, that I might give myself to him. So how do I give myself to him? And what is he saying to us in this few verses about anger? It's not a literal translation as much as it is the prospect of can you see the kingdom of God? Can you see the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is our literally giving ourselves to God as he has given himself to us and then understanding. This is about our purity. I think often we use purity in a sexual orientation. A girl is pure. A girl is not pure. 
a father gives his daughter a purity ring. Two girlfriends take friendship rings, and they take one, they take the other. This is, but you can obey all the rules the scripture tells us, and you can be nothing more than a whitewashed sepulcher, or you can follow all the laws as the young rich man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, give it all away and come and follow me. And he said, I've obeyed all the rules. And what did he say? I obeyed all the rules. And what does the next phrase say? And he went away sad because all that Jesus had given him, he was not willing to return himself to Jesus. This is more about your depth and your interior. Purity can be difficult to divine, but you know it within yourself. When you've heard God's voice and you've obeyed it, there is a sense of satisfaction, a sense of holiness, a sense of innocence. Now, I think we often say children can portray innocence But let me tell you, we've all seen children who are not portraying much innocent. A pure person is a person who has been tried and overcome it. Has been tried and overcome it. And I think this is partly to do with the anger. In various stages of my own spiritual maturation, I would have to face a behavior I knew I needed to change. It was hard. And when I did overcome something... I felt his joy. Now, how did I overcome something? I recognized that it was real in my life. I practiced a discipline with the Father to change the character trait in my life. Did I overcome it by myself? I did not. But as Elizabeth always said, God ordained that you participate. God does not treat us like robots. He does not come to us and say, okay, I'm going to touch you now and you'll never be angry again. A small point that might help us here is the question, who do you live for? Who do you live for? We often think it's Jesus or we say Jesus, especially if we have had an experience with Christ, but we're really trying to please someone else, aren't we? Our parents, our husbands, our wives, our friends, our church leaders, our audiences, and it goes on and on and on, your best friend. The purity of mine has much to do with the purity of my actions. Not today, but we'll look at Matthew 15 when Jesus tells us that it is not what goes into my mouth that defiles the the body, but what goes out of my mouth. Not what I eat, not what I say, but especially when so many people are trying to eat clean, eat, what's the other word, not clean and something else. Uh, They're talking about the tangible aspects of food, but what Jesus is talking about, what defiles us is not what I put in my body, but what comes out of my body. And he says, you've heard me say that if you murder that you'll be liable to judgment. But let me say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. Now, what does anger look like? This, these two verses, which I just reread, are, are verses that involve us every day. I want you to know I think our culture is much more angry. I remember a couple of decades ago, I said to my husband, do you ever notice that 
people are banging on their horns and cutting you off and giving you the finger more than ever before. Really, when I grew up as a teenager learning how to drive, and you have to know what kind of a bad driver I must have been, nobody ever gave me the finger. Now I'm older and I'm a decent driver. And if I move wrong or don't let a guy in that I maybe didn't see, it doesn't matter. They're honking horns, they're pulling us over, they're giving us the finger. So I, what made me think about it is the difference between external doing the right thing and internal purity that what comes out of my mouth is what God has called me to. And it was a little saying that went around for a long time, and it was about a young boy who was told to sit down. Sit down. And the boy did not want to sit down. And he was told again, sit down. And the boy realized he needed to obey. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to obey. Okay, I'll obey. Or there'd be trouble for him. He doesn't want to get in trouble. So he sat down, and then he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Okay, so there's anger for you, okay? That is, that is anger. You said the right thing. You smiled through it, but there's anger inside. Now, what would let, be sure you hear me say, I'm glad you said the right thing. I'm glad you didn't blow your temper. I'm glad you didn't hit someone. I'm glad you didn't give someone the finger or pick up a gun. I'm very glad for that. But what God is asking for is a purity, a purity of our inners, our trusting him to cleanse us. And there's no better passage in this all of scripture, as far as I'm concerned, than Psalm 139. There are 24 verses to that psalm, and I commend it to you. But here the psalmist tells God, he asks God to search him, search me. Search me and know my ways. He, he couldn't be clearer. He starts in the first verse, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And then he goes through a whole long list of things. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, and what my thoughts are, where my path is, and you're acquainted with all my ways. And then at the very end, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting and out of the wickedness. It's refining work. It's refining work. You kept quiet. I say, applause. Well done. Now I'm asking you to take time to ask God to search your way. And what is it? What is it that God is going to reveal to you? I have this lovely volume that a friend gave me. It's um, Praying the Psalms. And this is the verse as I read it to you from my Bible. I'm going to read it to you from her. You guide me as I pray to fulfill my purpose on earth. You do not forsake those who call upon you. Your steadfast love and truth endures forever. And though I walk in the middle, in the midst of trouble... You preserve my life. You preserve our lives. You show us the way. And what, what this psalmist is saying, show me my wicked ways and then help me, Lord. Let your steadfast love and truth endure in me so that I am not an angry person. So this woman said, I'm sad, but I really mean to say I'm mad. And then 
What happens to our anger if we don't take care of it? God comes in and changes us and gives us a new disposition. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We've just come through Easter and Lent and talking about what Jesus said to his disciples the week of weeks. I've got to go away, he's told those disciples. It's like telling your child, I've got to go away forever. I'm never coming back. But I can't let you go. I don't want to let you go. We, don't, we didn't want to let Jesus go, those who traveled with him. But what he said, it's very important that the Spirit will come and live within us. Now, that's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, does the Spirit live in you? Do you depend on the Spirit to take your flash of anger and do the right thing with it? You cannot pretend or imitate the new man. Believe me, I've tried. The period in my life when I was practicing what others did was not healthy for me. I watched them, and I did what they did. Now, in some ways, that saved my life. But in most ways, it was not because the Spirit had wooed me, not because I had given myself to Him as He had given Himself to me. D.L. Moody said that character is who we are in the dark. Character is what makes me. I am born with a disposition. We are all born with a disposition. I have become recently in the last five years very acquainted with a tool that's quite popular that reveals you to understand what your disposition is. And that disposition just needs to be surrendered. How many times have I surrendered? Too many to count. There's no way I could possibly keep count. There's heredity and regeneration. And you say, I'm a Christian and not devoted to Christ. And there are many who say that about themselves. I'm asking you to take what Jesus is saying. What are you angry about? What are you angry about? Who are you angry with? You can't remake yourself, but I can promise you that the Spirit will remake you. So what do I do with my anger? The easiest person to be really angry with is yourself. Yourself. We've talked about this before. I I encourage you not to be a judger. I encourage you to start with yourself. Self-judgment is hard deal to have to work through. But watch and see what Jesus allows. He tells us that anger is like murder. And if I were to say to you on the times I was so angry with my husband or a friend or a colleague or the times I've been angry in my life, would I have thought that was murder? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't because murder's way over there. That's like the ultimate bad thing. But that's why Jesus is saying it. He's saying it's like murder when you're angry with someone. So what are you going to do about that. You can't get around how important this Jesus is making this subject, and you can't get around how many times you feel angry or how often anger pops up. He says, go, go, leave the altar and go and go to the person. You notice his phrase here? He doesn't say the person you insulted. He says the person who, who feels Uh, against you. If you have insulted a brother, you fool, you will be liable for the fine. If you remember that brother or sister has something against you, you're not remembering what you did. 
You're suddenly aware that you have hurt someone. You have offended someone. Your angry anger has been put off on someone. And Jesus says, when that happens, go to that person who feels insulted. Is there anything harder? I don't know. I've been married a lot of decades. When I insult my husband, when I offend my husband, when I'm angry with my husband, I think, oh, no. One of the things I've learned, go fast. Oh, go fast. Go quickly. Don't wait for someone to come. Don't suggest, don't wait for my husband to come to me and say, that really hurt me. Don't wait, go. And don't suggest someone come halfway. Don't suggest you say to them, I've done this. Okay, so I'm familiar with it. I'm really sorry I did that. Will you please forgive me? But you got me so angry. No, 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 no. He did something that annoyed me. Now, am I willing to talk to him about that? That's a different thing. But don't tag it on when you're saying, please forgive me. He says, go, go, just go. What if creeps into our hearts? Like David and I have a proclivity to action, but I often see how this kind of action I decline on. He says, go. And I want to say to you, when you sense anger, when you spoke in anger, when you feel in anger, go. That would be my word to you, go. Go to Jesus. Sometimes that internal anger, you have been mature enough to keep it inside. Still have to go. You still have to go to Jesus and say, forgive me, help me with this, help me undo this, help me to understand this, help me to develop a new practice that will keep that from happening again. And if you've said it, you have to go to that person and make it right with him or with anyone. Righteousness, righteousness is found when we retrieve our anger and understand the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. He will get you scraping at the bottom of the bowl with a spoon or a spatula or your finger. You ever notice that something really good in the bowl, the spoon gets most of it, then you get the spatula that gets most of it. There's still a little lick left. You put your finger in it, and then you can lick your finger on it. That's the kind of sensitivity that the Spirit has for us. He comes in. He has scruples, and he wants us to have scruples. I think sometimes... We're afraid. We're afraid that we'll say more than what we started with. I think doing what he calls really becomes the best thing, thing, and we are stronger for it. I go, and I get it, and I say I was wrong. And Jesus says to me, go, go. And I say to you, go. Go to Jesus. Ask him for help. Go to your spouse. Go to the person you have offended. Elizabeth always said anything that wasn't instant obedience was disobedience. And I remember women who had trouble with that. They didn't like to think of themselves as being disobedient. But I remember coming to understand that and thinking instant obedience was so freeing. When I disobeyed and pretended I was obeying, or I disobeyed and but I knew to do better, Well, that was a burden. And when I read these passages and I think, okay, Lord, search me. Search me. Is there someone I'm angry with? Is there someone that I really slipped by it so quickly? Obedience is in his voice. It's joyful. And no matter what the response is, 
that we are to be pure in it. All through the Sermon on the Mount, we expect righteousness, our righteousness to exceed what the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says to us, be angry and sin not. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to sin. Now, that's a different lesson found in Ephesians, but Paul is very clear to say, as I'm going to talk to you about in the next few days, anger is an emotion given to us by God. Eugene Peterson reminds us that anger and joy are the same emotion. They're an emotion that is given to us by God. All our emotions are given to us by God. And anger is a legitimate emotion. It's not a sin any more than laughter is. So don't condemn yourself for your anger. Condemn yourself for the sin that you caused. God was angry and God had wrath. And the Old Testament refers to that emotion in God often. I'm often sad when I hear people say, well, Jesus was angry in the New Testament in the temple. And I think, oh, no, there are other evidences that he was angry. He was angry with the crowd. Wasn't he angry with Peter when he was acknowledging him that he shouldn't have cut off the man's ear when they were coming to arrest him? I mean, he had some emotion, but he dealt with it. Anger can be a dangerous emotion. It can easily consume us when you take a personal insult, let's just say personal, not very personal, we become angry. And if we become angry like that, we are likely to cause murder, or at least in God's interpretation, murder. Peterson goes on to say, most anger ends up being sinful. How? We've already said the emotion is not sinful, but because the thing we want is wrong, or we are angry with the wrong person, or in the wrong way, or for a very long time. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that if you are angry with someone for a very long time, it turns into unforgiveness, and it is much more complicated to deal with. So that's it, Matthew 5, 21 through 26, 26 just a few verses, but power-packed with things that are everyday occurrences. Do you let people make you angry? Are you careful what you do with your anger? Are you quick to say, I'm angry, and please forgive me, Holy Spirit, show me what to do? Go to Christ and go to the person you insulted. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of understanding the emotion of anger.